0: In 2021, Talk About It Outdoors partnered with an industry leading brand that has stamped its name on the outdoor industry. Cruiser Saddles in itself stands on perfection, and with every climb we make, we elevate ourselves above the rest. In addition to a support to our hunting journey, the men and women behind Cruiser believe in the same principles of life as us faith, family, and the blessings of being better as they go in every sit. If your desire to pursue your passions one step ahead of the rest, go ahead and get in the best. Check them out on all the socials or head over to their website at www.cruiser.com. That's C-R-U-Z-R.com. And tell them to the Talk About It Outdoors boys and Chasing Weekends sent you their way. The journey of life has a unique way of being able to create tried and true friendships as we go. In forming those relationships, oftentimes good things come to follow. Talk About It Outdoors is proudly supported by Cal Hardy, the Arrowhead Land Company. Cal is the leading broker over Georgia and is happy to assist you with finding the place where you can call home. With vast knowledge and an understanding of the ever-evolving real estate market and a unique old-school approach to everything he does. He exemplifies what it means to treat others like you'd want to be treated. Don't settle for being just another number in a phone. Choose Cal Hardy for all your land, home, and commercial real estate needs and become a part of his family. We sure are blessed to have him as a part of ours. Find him on Facebook, Instagram, or give him a call at 770-296-2163. Step back to the times when a feed store was more than just that, and the people inside smiled with friendly faces and provided a place for a talk on life as well as all your essential farm, livestock, and pet needs. Cherokee Feed Seed, located in Ball Ground, Georgia, with an additional location in Gainesville, are the hometown supplier of all your cattle, equine, and pet needs with the added addition of being able to keep your deer herd healthy with protein and minerals. They also carry an assortment of hunting blinds and gear, and you can rest easy knowing the people that support local ball clubs and children's sports are who your hard-earned money is going to. The people here greet you with a handshake and a smile, and Cherokee Feed and Seed give more than just a product. They give you a welcome that will make you return time and time again. Stop in next time you're in the area and tell them you're part of the Talk About It Outdoors family. A few years back, when an overbearing and overgrown backyard became an eyesore, I looked for a solution to resolve. LRS Land Services created a stunning and complete transformation turnkey at an affordable price with their mulching services. Not limited to mulching, LRS can provide turnkey grading and clearing, maintenance, right-of-way clearing, and even development for any and all forestry needs. With an innovative outlook on what is best for your land and a completely different approach than others, LRS can transform your overgrown eyesore into a beautiful landscape of your dreams. Give them a call at 404-889-1105 or check their work out on Facebook at LRS Land Services. Logan and his team are ready to make your land brand new again. Building the foundation of your life starts at the base, and the stronger it is, the better. Talk About It Outdoors is proud of our strong partnership with United Concrete and Paving and the foundation of support they provide. Whether your new home being built needs concrete work or that driveway you're tired of beating all the bearings from your pickup needs a paving, Michael and his team can provide any residential or commercial project support you might need from the ground up. If you're tired of tripping over that unsettled patio slab or a future shop build needs a smooth start, United Concrete and Paving can get you going when you need it most. Give them a call at 404-831-3036 and make sure you tell them them TAI boys are where you heard it first.
1: Ready, Nick? Let's do it.
0: all right everybody talk about it outdoors live in the wilson studio a saturday morning session for our 100th episode i promise it's been a grind to get here and we've had more fun than we can even shake a stick at to get to this point we got a special one for you tonight y'all better pull up a chair and sit a while and i promise anyone listening in the georgia crowd y'all gonna know this name when we drop it out
1: Nicholas, we're finally here. Number 100, baby.
0: 100. That's gonna be a lot of things to remember when I start typing it out, dropping these episodes on all the stuff. So You excited? I'm I'm nervous. I'm excited. I, I just can't believe that it's finally here and for what it's been to get to this point for us. It's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of sleepless nights. There's been conversations had over the last year and a half. And to get to this point with you, I can't I can't thank you enough. So you're here with me, Cody Watson's here with me, and uh, here shortly we're going to introduce our esteemed guest to the to the show. I'm waiting on you, buddy. <laughs> waiting on ready, setting on go. Cody, you doing all right, bud? Doing good. Got in the turkey woods this morning, so. I know, you season's open. Yep. You guys got they to go. Got to I, I'll be honest with you, I'll be honest with you. Y'all said y'all were going hunting this morning. I said, well, y'all better not be late. If y'all are late this morning, I am going to be going crazy. I was out here in the driveway facing. day It's, pacing good. it's a good daylight. thing one didn't gobble, son. <laughs> <laughs> as excited as you are for turkey season to be here I want you to take a moment and I want you to to just set a a euphoric scene and I want you to imagine yourself standing upon sandy soil surrounded by pine trees as far as the eye could see and the ambient roar of a pack of hounds echo in your ears. A, A track struck up by those working dogs sending a deer running for all it was worth. Then I want to take yourself, close your eyes, and imagine standing center stage of a major league field. Those pines replaced by a sea of fans, the chance taking place of those screaming barks. Just a country boy, a lot like us, from a little old town known as the fern capital of the world. Our guest today is a household name for us all. Baseball fan or not, you knew him as a kid. Our dad's Sunday morning papers donned his picture, and our TV streamed his most utmost taunted place a Hall of Famer who may have began his deer hunting with an automatic bar rifle tearing up Florida roads trying to cut one off, who has become a legend within the hunting community. He's chased whitetails from Texas to Iowa, built amazing teams of hunters to bring enjoyment to our living rooms, long after baseball, and proven time and time again, if you work hard enough at something, you can achieve anything. It's without further ado, I welcome to talk about it outdoors, Atlanta Braves Hall of Famer. Number ten, the big buck hammer himself, Mister <laughs> Chipper Jones. <laughs> that's
2: that's quite the introduction. Uh, I, thank you very much. Uh, what a what a tremendous accomplishment for for you guys. You know, a hundred episodes. I'm honored to to be that guest on the hundredth episode. And uh, let's talk some. Talk some deer hunting. Uh, get you, with it. Did I did I miss anything
0: on no, that? Did you I go you, you good? nailed it, you,
2: the fern capital of the world. Not a lot of people know that. Uh, shoot, I was in the fern business, uh, my whole childhood, and you know my my parents did a great job of using the fern business, the fernery that we had. You know, we had two acres of of uh, saran top, you know, leather leaf fern in the backyard, and whenever I made a C or a D on a report card, or told a little white lie, or you know, messed around, did something wrong, flipped the golf cart, whatever you know. Uh, man, right out in that fernery, I went, you know, weeding the fernery, cutting the fern, packing the fern, uh, just everything. And uh, it took me about five minutes of that to realize that that's not what I want to do with the rest of my life. I don't want to be working in one of them packing sheds. Um, so I better you know get with my studies and and start concentrating on trying to make it to the big leagues
0: well and when you started the journey it really began that your hunting career in a place probably people don't even know i mean they see you now major league bow hunter they watch you on buck commander the dog hunting thing it really is not a a popular sport when it comes to the public opinion but for a lot of you guys growing up in Florida, deep south Georgia, yep. even up into the Carolinas, yep. that's a lifestyle.
2: 100%. 100%. I grew up. Um, we had – we belonged to a hunting club um, called uh, Hall Creek. And 7,000 acres, uh, tons of swamp, tons of uh, palmetto flies, pine trees, like you were saying. Um, yeah, it was just – there was nothing like, you know, having a crisp, cool morning. We had 14 walker hounds in our backyards. We had our trail dogs. We had our jump dogs. And there was nothing like, you know, sitting on stand, you know, on one of those cool crisp mornings and having about five or six just chiming one, you know, and and knowing that it was a buck. And as we were talking about, you know, uh, uh, you know, off air earlier, them boys down in Central Florida will tear up a truck trying to get in front of a five inch spike, (laughs) a brand new truck, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. brand new. So, um, that's you know, my dad was a you know, ex marine, they called him Hawkeye because he, he, you know, dot a Nats ass from 400 yards with a 30 out (laughs) six, you know, and uh, I like to scatter gun myself, you know, trying to get them in a little closer. I guess that's why I'm. You know, I dig the the bow hunting so much, but you give me that 12-gauge uh, pump, you know, and have one run by, I will empty it on it, <laughs> you know. So, uh, yeah, just a lot of really cool times uh, growing up, and that's really where my love of the outdoors and my love of of deer hunting really, really started.
0: Well, and I know that looking back— when you started in with Real Tree and watching you on that first Monster Bucks episode, if people watched that compared to what you're doing now, yeah. they probably wouldn't get the conjunction between them. what kind of rifle was it? A bar that you had when you went to Texas with Bill and them, or was it a bolt action? I don't that even remember. That was a
2: bolt action two seventy. Yeah, um, yeah. It's funny, you know the the amount of help. Tyler was, you know, knee-high to a grasshopper yeah. at that point. Michael Waddell was still filming. He wasn't even on camera yet. Um, you know, Bill was probably, I don't know, 40, 45 years old. That was a long time ago. That was mid-'90s. Mm-hmm um that first trip i went with jeff foxworthy you want to talk about having some fun (laughs) get foxworthy in camp with y'all one time and y'all are gonna laugh y'all's butts off um but yeah it was just uh it was a browning 270 bolt action and that was before my my bow hunting days um so anytime bill calls you up and says you know, Bill's the – he's the godfather of the outdoor industry. You guys are all, you know, yeah. wearing it in yeah, some way, yeah. shape, or form. Um, and they've continued to be over the years. So, when he calls, I pick up. That's right. I pick up. And not a lot of guys that, I, you know, call me and i would be like, man, I'll call him back later, you know. <laughs> but when Bill calls, you you pick up the phone because an opportunity could be right around the corner. I won't pass up. Yeah. You know?
1: Did you get to hunt with Dale Earnhardt?
2: Never did. Never did. No. Did you see? Did did
1: you pass him in camp or hang out with him?
2: Never did in camp. I, you know, obviously ran into him at a at some races and whatnot. And that um, connection between Dale and Bill was, you know, tight. In fact, uh, one of our coaches early on in my career was on his pit crew. Like when we went on strike in '94 and '95, Ned Yost. Who was our bullpen coach, and then was our third base coach, and then moved on to win a World Series with the Kansas City Royals as their manager? He was on there. He was on Dale's pit crew during the strike. You know, <laughs> so right. we were all getting jobs. You know, when we were on strike, heck, I was doing radio. You know, I had a radio show that I you know was on uh, a couple times a week just to pay the bills. You know, so I totally got it. Um, but yeah, Dale was uh, Dale was quite the quite the dude man he's just a freaking awesome guy always pranking like you sit there and flirt with your wife like right in front of him. <laughs> he don't care if tomorrow don't come you know and uh an insatiable outdoorsman as far as fishing and hunting
0: he yeah. tried to slip in the uh in the dugout with y'all one time too didn't he i heard that I, story it was, <laughs> i
2: mean he was he's sneaky man like you better have your head on a swivel whenever whenever dale was around because Man, he put a snake under your. You know, uh, I heard him put snakes under pillows and, you know, stuff like that. I don't. I, I don't play. Don't don't be messing with my pillow in my bed because when I get ready to lay oh, no. my head on the there pillow, I'm ready to go to sleep. <laughs> What's
1: the most PG-13 story that you could tell related back to real tree days? A funny story. Oh man,
2: <laughs> let's see. Um, I mean, nothing really. Like, I guess. Probably the opportunities that I got to hunt with Fox for, you're going to have a good time whenever he's in camp. But he's like a little kid. I mean, he's literally like a a 10-year-old. And he loves video games. And I never knew this about him. I mean, he loved video games. More than I did, you know, and I kind of dug video games back in the day. Um, Luckily, I grew out of it. He's still playing them, you know, (laughs) Um, but I can remember being in camp with him for the first time. And I walked in after a morning hunt and. I see what looks like this little kid, he's he's on his knees, he's got his feet up under him, crossed up under him, (laughs) and he's sitting there playing the NASCAR game. Okay. Well, I mean, if you are racing at Talladega, it's a 500 mile race. You know, it it probably takes two and a half, three hours for you to run the race, you know, (laughs) on the video game. And he sat there with his feet tucked up under him, like a little 10 year old, and somebody would spin him out and he, you know, he'd say, dang it, or whatever, you know, and never cussed. Right. Yeah. And so it got down inside of 10, um, uh, 10 laps left, and he's leading the race. And you know, whenever you're playing those, those games, like, if you're leading, every, people are going to be coming up from behind. And if you're, you know, in 10th place, you'll gain on the, on the leader. <laughs> this guy comes from behind him and spins him out and wrecks him. And mind you, huge Christian. Right. He dropped the biggest F-bomb I have ever heard. Like he threw the controller at the TV, cracked the screen, dropped an F-bomb, got up and we didn't see him the rest of the day. So like that was that was one of the funnier moments that we've had in real tree camp. And it was just, you know, I mean, everything. Foxworthy can come in here and stand at the corner and just stare at us, and it'll it'll make us laugh. Yeah. You know, right. every little yeah. thing he does is just, just funny.
0: And so. he was, and he's he's like us. I mean, he grew up out in the 100%. rough. I mean, he's not anybody. He now he is. I mean, he's a household name. But from day one, those redneck
2: stories. Oh yeah
0: that was him. I mean yeah. to a core and you could read his books or see his jokes and you're like, I know that fella sitting down on the corner in front of the trailer talking about a tornado coming. Oh, yeah. You knew his yeah. and you could relate to him. So,
2: and he is a monster. He's a he's a big time deer hunter and he's a um deer grower. Like he he wants his place down in, you know, close to Callaway Gardens and and Real Tree Farms is a monster deer haven. Like he has had it for probably fifteen, twenty years now, and he has cultivated that place. He's killing monster deer every year right here on Georgia ground, and it's all you know. People think that you know you inject them with steroids or you you know you bring in blood from Wisconsin or Michigan. No, this is all homegrown, you know. And it's 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 nice to see um, drives up the land prices down there, but you know, yeah, or, but exactly. but still, there's uh you know, whenever you can kill <clears throat> book deer. In the state of Georgia, doing something right, and he's doing it.
0: Yeah, him and T-Bone, I know yep. T-Bone's been doing it for the last couple of years and hammering on them, and I think it brings a lot of focus to, yeah, you can do it in Georgia, and you do have the opportunity. And of course, the urban hunting's been something that's really came into play for, for a lot of it, but did you ever think when you were coming up, once you first got to go to Texas and then purchase your own farm in Texas and on it, chasing those little six inch spikes down in Florida. What was that like changing your mindset from hunting those deer compared to what you oh, started out there? Real
2: fast. I got spoiled real fast. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe the, the biggest deer I killed in Florida was a seven point. That might've scored 115 to 120 inches. And I rode that sucker around on my tailgate for two weeks. Like the meat wasn't even good when we skinned him out. Um, but yeah and then you you go to Texas and you you see these 140 150 inch deer and you're like my god I'm in I'm in deer heaven you know yeah. and um so I told my dad after we hunted out there the first time I said uh when I'm when I make some money and we can get our own land this is where I want to be you know I told him I said we were going to Go to South Texas, and lo and behold, it's unbelievable how it worked out. The farm that we hunted on, which was called Perlitz Ranch, mm-hmm. is literally right across the street from the the farm that I that I that I bought. Right. I bought the Double Dime in two thousand, and it's just under ten thousand acres and had horse facilities for my mom, my mom's a professional equestrian so we keep her busy and keep her happy and then 10,000 acres it was 11 oh, it was 11 miles by 7 miles and you know <clears throat> yes it was high fenced but man when you're talking about 11 by 7 that, it ain't 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 too many canned hunts. I mean, you can get up in some corners and, and whatnot and maybe kill a deer, but uh, there weren't too many canned hunts out there. I think we were we were out there for 16 years. I sold it in 2016. Um, we killed, I think the biggest deer we killed score-wise was 194 inches. Um, sold it to a fella from Florida, oddly enough, uh, for $20,000 right? It's the biggest deer has ever been on our property. And normally I got to hunt those deer, but when somebody comes up and says, I'll give you $20,000 and a replica amount of that deer, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rock that every, every guy's got his price. Yeah. 20,000 was my price. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, your dad ever
0: decide, or did he ever want to take dogs out there and throw them out on that property?
2: No, nope. <laughs> well, you know what? Whenever we injured a deer, we had some blood dogs, yeah. so it kind of gave us a little, a little bit of that, you know, old school Florida feel. Whenever you know, whenever you're selling commercial hunts, you're always going, you know, oh, have yeah. them bloodied up deer that uh, you know don't go down within fifty or a hundred yards. And trust me, you don't want to be going through that South Texas brush. You know, snakes would be awful. Chasing, chasing, <laughs> chasing whitetails. So we we'll let the we we'll let the bloodhounds do it. But yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun, man. I I can't tell you how many times it was just every time you went out, you saw something different, and it could have been, you know, something different from the standpoint of a bobcat or a javelina or a you know a coyote or hogs, you know, just owls. I mean, just the amount of wildlife that you saw on a on a daily basis out there would just blow your mind and and not to mention the deer hunting was fairly good. Fairly <laughs> yeah, good. yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's like it worked out pretty did well y'all, Did y'all ever have any amigos up in your stands? Oh yeah. Yeah. We um I had a client, I was taking a client one time to uh the stand and it was a tower blind. He was rifle hunting uh over this greenfield and we climbed up the tower and there were five, five amigos up there. Wow. Oh, and one tower stand. <laughs> and one tower stand. And you want to talk about, you know, wee-wee and down your leg? Yeah, it was uh, – I almost fell. I almost fell. They scared me so bad. And um, I've, you know, had them walk up on clients, walk up on uh, my cameraman from, uh, from the Buck Commander days, uh, little Jordan summit was scouting for us and sitting in a stand and one kind of stuck. stuck. He was, he, he, yeah. he was sitting in a ground line. <laughs> he stuck his head right in the ground blind. And Jordy was like, take what you want. <laughs> 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 take whatever you need. I have literally walked up on 20 of them at one point And, um, one, luckily, spoke enough English that, you know, they were exhausted, man. Oh, yeah. They had, uh, All they wanted was water and maybe a, a piece of bread if you had it. And, you know, to our credit, we we did that. You know, yeah, yeah. We, we would throw them in. I made them take all their backpacks off. They had to put their backpacks in my back seat. And they get in the back because I don't know what they're toting right, across, right. you know. And we'd take them to the house. We'd show them the water spigot and throw them a loaf of bread. And they were – you know, happy as all get out. But little did they know we had you know Border Patrol on speed dial out there, and right. they were coming to get them. And you, you want to see twenty Mexicans scatter when Border Patrol comes? Oh, I bet. But I'll tell you this: those Border Patrol guys, they got a couple of German shepherds, and they had them all rounded up within five minutes. Like them German shepherds get on that rear end, and it's they they cower big time. So yeah, it was scary. We didn't ever go anywhere. That we weren't strapped and, um, you know, felt protected, but uh, we never had any run in. 16 years, we had we found five dead human beings on our property. Wow. Think gosh. about that. Think about walking up on <clears throat> and knowing what the elements and the predators can do to a corpse, you know, and um, it's, it's just unfortunate that, you know, they – either got sick and and the coyotes left you know the coyotes the runners that are you know trying to get them across just left them and uh it, it, it's it's a shame and it's you know not something that you no. think back fondly upon
0: well, when you think about that just how lucky we are to live in this country and they're they're willing to die to get here literally they're dying every day to get here because they have it so bad where they are and yeah. You know, well, was, I got to
2: think, you know, with what's transpired over <clears throat> the last couple of years and and the mass exodus out of Mexico, it's got to be worse now. I, I, I I'm mean, sure. yeah, I bet you talk to the person who now owns, you know, the double dime. They probably could tell you some similar stories, probably more of them, because there's more people coming across. Yeah.
1: When you started hunting Texas, had you been had you ventured up to the Midwest much by at that at that point? So you didn't really know what you were kind of missing?
2: No. Um, you know, we I got together with the Buck Commander crew. I was with them for six or seven years and was buddies, good buddies with Adam LaRoche. Got a nice place up in um, Fort Scott, Kansas. He's actually got uh, about 3,500 acres. I think he's got <clears throat> 1,500 in... Missouri in two thousand and um uh, Kansas. So um went up there a couple times. But I was bow hunting when I went up there. So that was kind of kinda later on. Um but yeah, no, I didn't know anything about the the Midwest game. Um just really wanted to experience everything that Texas had to offer. Obviously going from the deep south and you know, you kill a 100-pound deer in the deep south, you've done something, you know. And then now, I mean, I, I said the biggest deer we killed horn-wise was 194. The biggest deer we killed body-wise was uh, 265 pounds, wow. you know, in south Texas. And there's a couple different strains of deer in south Texas. You can kill, I killed a 184-inch deer that weighed 145 pounds. You know, and then my dad kills the first deer my dad killed off the double dime, uh, was a deer we call broke tine, hundred and sixty something inch deer, weighed two hundred and sixty five pounds. And couldn't 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 believe the size took three of us to load that sucker up. You know, that's a Midwest strain of deer. Okay. And um yeah, so it was you always had to factor that in whenever you were gauging deer, you're scouting deer. You had to you had to see which which strain it was because I'm I'm tell you 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 put a 150 inch deer on a 150 pound body, it looks like <laughs> a 220. I bet you know especially if they're running away from you you know and you know on the flip side you 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 put a 150 inch frame on a 265 pound deer you may underscore it a little bit you know so. Really tough in in South Texas, especially when you're trying like crazy to let those deer get six years old before you before you take them. It was it was really tough, but makes you learn how to how to gauge deer, you know, on the hoof a lot quicker. Do you
1: think hunting out out in Texas and now moving to the Midwest has changed the way you hunt around here, or do you even
2: get to hunt around all much? I can't tell you the last time I've hunted. In <laughs> okay, okay, I, and I want to so bad. Um, I, I have 40 acres here, uh, around my compound and I got deer all over the place and I've been there four years. I've seen one deer that I might've let my wife shoot, you know, I mean, probably 130 inch, 35 inch deer, which is great deer, you know, for oh, Georgia. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially, you know, up here in the suburbs. Um, I don't claim to be, you know, killing the, the deer that them seek one boys Rotten. are, are Rotten. running across. Um, you know, but we stay in touch quite a bit, and um, I know they're here. You know, I, I, I've 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 got people who send me pictures um, regularly uh, via social media. You know, you know they got them coming up to a feeder in their backyard, or they're throwing apples out there. You know, rotten apples out their back door, and, and they're getting pictures of these, these, these monster deer. I just haven't seen it, you know, <laughs> right. where I am. I ain't know? either. That's what's yeah. killing us. Yeah. Yeah. That getting out
1: of state, though, sometimes is more just to get in the way and just kind of isolating yourself away from the hustle and bustle here that we live in. Yeah, 100%.
2: Guess. I mean, uh, I got seven boys, you know, <laughs> <laughs> life gets kind of chaotic from time to time, not to mention, you know, um, what I did you know, for twenty twenty-five right. years professionally. Um so yeah, it's good to to get away, get out to deer camp with the fellas and uh pop the top and and you know, climb twenty-five foot up a tree and and take a break from it all. You know, it's it's very very therapeutic and cathartic for me. Yeah.
0: We talk about this a lot and how it shifted um the, the culture when we were growing up and I'm sure it was the same for you, Deer Camp. You go to Deer Camp and that's where I can guarantee you probably 90% of the people that we talk to or we know, that's where you learned how to hunt. Mm-hmm. And it's probably how you learn how to be a man. I that's mean, right. more than anything. Yeah, you if,
2: if, ch- if you'll shut up and listen, you yeah. know, and, and just soak it all up. And, and there's a lot of correlation between that and baseball. You know, I used to, when we were playing and we were struggling offensively, you know, cumulatively as a team, I would tell everybody, hey, let's meet in the in the uh batting cage at two o'clock tomorrow for, you know, just real not formal, you know, just we're we're gonna sit there, and we're just gonna talk, we're just gonna talk hidden. Because I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting there talking or listening to a couple of players and something that you say clicks for me. Right. You know, and then I'm like, oh damn. Let me go work on it. And then all of a sudden you get hot, yep. you know? And so I wanted to have those conversations with the other guys so that maybe something would click for them, mm-hmm. you know? And I can't tell you how many times somebody would come up to me and say, hey, man, somebody, something so-and-so clicked for me. Let's go work on it. And cool, all right? Same thing in deer camp. You know, you, you go in and there's there's a thousand different ways to skin a cat, you know, and thousand different ways to kill a deer um you know and, and that's what I love about our crew with Major League Bowhunter. You got myself, you got Matt Duff, you got Brandon Danker, now we got uh Brad Stricker we're bringing in a new guy named uh Donnie Mixon this year. We've got new camera guys coming in. So we're going to have a lot more content. And I am pretty much a by the book kind of hunter. I'd rather be in a tree than I would a, a blind. Um Duff's completely different. Duff would rather dig a hole <laughs> and sit there in a ghillie suit and pop up out of nowhere and shoot a deer because it's outside the box and it's entertaining. Yeah. Now, it never works. <laughs> yeah. But some of, and as, as you guys have seen, I've seen him crawl across an alfalfa field in an alfalfa ghillie suit just to get in front of of 165 170 inch deer.
3: Yeah.
2: You know, and he got within 30 yards of it. Now he would have had to shoot prone with a with a bow which is impossible. It, yeah. Okay? But damn if it wasn't entertaining, <laughs> yeah, you exactly, know? Yeah. And he almost he almost pulled it off. I've seen him uh at the River Mason in Oklahoma on the edge of the river dig a hole into the bank of the river. Because he knew a hundred deer would be coming down out of the hills and crossing that river at the right time, going to the destination field. And he just thought, well, I'm gonna sit here in this hole and I'm gonna pop up and I'm gonna shoot. It didn't work. It didn't but work. Damn if it wasn't entertaining. <laughs> he you know, tried to be Jared Meals. <laughs> he, That's yeah, what he's, he's trying just, to do. He's one of those outside the box guys. And you know, Brandon Danker, he is uh he's probably one, a handful of guys that I would consider the best hunters, you know, that I've ever been around. No, no, I is undotted. No T is uncrossed. I mean, he is to the letter and that's why he and I work so good together. I'm not, I'm not one that has to have it my way. I want to bounce ideas off of guys that I know are good hunters. I'm not, I don't by any means think I'm the best hunter out there, and it's my way or the highway. And B. Dank and I had so much success because we bounced stuff off each other. Um, we valued each other's opinions. And, man, more times than not, when we put our heads together, we got it done. You know, and that, that's a that's a great feeling.
1: With him with him saying that, though, that's a lot of the reason that I wanted to start this podcast. Again, it ain't, it ain't fully the thing, but I would listen to different podcasts, and I would hear people say things, and it would be like, I could. I'm gonna try that. Let me try this, and it's the same way. I thought, why not get people on and let them sh- share stories that they've never told? Or you get some of these people that just never talk. They're probably some of the best hunters in the world that you'll never hear from. Let's get these guys on here and pick their brains and figure out what they're doing to kill these deer. And not, not so much tactics, but just different styles like that. Yeah. And I think that's what's good about this.
2: And it's 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 a lot different when you got uh, when you double the scent too. You know, you're talking yeah. about. I I got the utmost respect for these guys who climb up in a tree. With a buddy, you know, meaning a cameraman, and can finagle these Midwest mature bucks into within 25, 30 yards. I killed two deer last year and I rattled them both right to the base of the tree. There's nothing more gratifying than putting your eyes on a buck and he's out there 150, 200 yards and you just tickle those. You're not, you're not you know, just crashing them together. You just take them I'll tell you, you know, me and were, me and are a lot. Yeah. But the
0: difference is you're beating it up. You sound like a truck truck,
2: right. truck crash over right. there. You just, you're just like peaking his interest, you know? And then this is what, this is what happened a couple years ago. You know, I saw this, this book in Iowa and I tickled the horns and he comes in, he's pissed off, man. He's, he, Tongues going, he's just, you know, thrashing every every branch in between me and him. And he gets to about fifty yards. And he's like, <laughs> nah. <laughs> some, something something ain't right. He turns and walks away. Okay? So I'm like, man, he's he's too close to tickle the horns again. I'm on. I gotta I gotta snort wheezing in. So I mouth called him. <laughs> all right turned him on a dime, brought him to 18 yards. Now, he was straight on so I didn't have a shot, but I mean 160 inch deer right to 15 yards. I turned around to the camera. I was like that was freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah. We didn't kill that deer but that was freaking awesome. And now I know that I have the ability to be able to finesse these deer in, whether with the horns, with the mouth call, whatever. And my my camera guy was like, dude, uh, that was that was killer i learned so much from you you know in that hunt but it took me learning that from a michael waddell or an adam LaRoche or a brandon danker to to be able to use utilize everything that i've learned through the years to get the deer to 15 yards yeah and if he did turn bras out i you wax know?
1: <laughs> well i had a question real quick and you don't have to, i guess it's gonna be hard to answer but would you take a would you take a 180-inch deer at 25 yards or a walk-off homer?
2: Uh, <laughs> uh, that's a good one. Uh, that's a good one. The walk-off homer pays more. <laughs> good answer. Good answer. So I'd probably have to say that I, I I would say this. I wish that everyone could experience what it's like to bring forty or 50,000 people off their butts, you know, in the ninth inning or or millions of people out of their couch seats or recliners with one swing of your back, you know. And to stand there against a closer like a Jonathan Papelbon from the Phillies and to nut a 95-mile-an-hour fastball and the second you touch it off, you know it's gone and the game's over. I wish everybody could experience that. You know, just one time I hit nine or ten walk off homers in my career, and I could I remember the count. I remember who it was off of. Um, I remember them all. You know, because you know you guys did it in your backyard when you were little kids. Three and two, two outs, oh. bases loaded. Yep, Chipper Jones is up. I hit a granny every time in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, right. I hit a grand slam, and I know you guys did too. Exactly. But to do it at at baseball's highest level, um, just, there's nothing to beat that. There's nothing to beat that. That was the best yeah. answer you could have. But you
0: said you brought those people off their feet, and it was – and, but you've done that with your deer hunting as well. And that's the cool thing about it and the correlation between the two. There's been moments that we've been sitting on the couch. Back when it was DVDs, mm-hmm. I mean, we were watching you on mm-hmm. Monster Buck. I yeah. got a Monster Buck VHS yeah. when you were on
2: there that first. and I, was I like, still got those, man. They're <laughs> packed away in a box somewhere, but I still got those
0: things. And man. seeing you do that then, we could you could put the two and two together. And I think that's the big thing for everyone that grew up in our generation you were that guy that was just a normal guy. Right. You wanted to hunt. You wanted right. to play baseball. And every kid, like you said, had a piece of PVC pipe like you did in the backyard with a tennis ball throwing it up and hitting Grand Slam. But we were Chipper Jones yeah. at that time. We were pretending to be you, and now it's, it's so cool to see it come now to full well, fruition.
2: If I was just an ordinary Joe Schmo, you know, run-the-mill guy on TV – You might not feel that way, but baseball gave me the platform to be able to share with you all, Mm -hmm. everyone really, my loves and my passions. You know, I've played golf on TV. I've fished on TV. Um, The fact that that I get to travel all over North America – they call us professional deer we ain't professional deer hunters we we hunt for free you know i mean we get our bows and stuff paid for so i guess you would call it, that's why they might call you a professional hunter. i ain't i don't claim to know anything our motto at major league bow hunter is never stop learning you know and my dad always told me when i was growing up when you know every when 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 you stop learning on the baseball field it's time to quit Yeah, it's time to quit because you're you're not going to be doing baseball justice. You there's something to be learned every single day. There's something to be learned when you walk into the woods because no hunt, no two hunts are the same. That's right. You're going to have different wind directions. You're going to have different entry and exit strategies depending on you know whether it's morning or evening, whether the wind's out of the north, out of the south. I mean, you got all these variables that you got to think about. So I think that's the 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 intriguing thing and the thing that I love about um hunting is is that no two no two hunters and no no nine inning baseball games going to be played exactly the same way. That's what makes it so intriguing.
0: Our Texas. If you had to pick one of the over the other.
2: <laughs> oh man, like uh 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, I would have said Texas. Um, just for the sheer volume of wildlife and as much fun as we had out there, I would have said Texas now that I don't have the ranch, I would definitely say Iowa. Um, man, there's some, it just, there's something about the mystique of Iowa. Um, I got to throw Kansas in there too, cause Kansas is where we get most of our, um, content cause everybody can draw there, you know, or everybody
1: normally, draw normally yeah.
2: draws there. Uh, every year um iowa's tough you know it's every three or four years luckily i've kind of found a a back way into being able to hunt it every year and that's through um, you know some auction sites yeah and it costs you know a pretty penny but i want to go hunt iowa every year yeah you know and i still put in for my points i still draw a tag every three or four years which saves me the money on on you know buying an auction tag but damn it it's one of my favorite places on the planet and i got some money so i'm gonna go
3: there you you go there you go
2: um you know i love it whenever duff draws up there um man we killed a couple of 160s uh not this past year but the year before and rattled them in i mean just it's awesome man you just you never know what's going to come step out of that cedar you know that cedar thicket you know it could be you know a 220 it could be a you know 160 you know it could be a two-year-old deer It could be a six or seven-year-old mossy back you know it just i i guess the thrill of the unknown is what is uh, or the unexpected is what is so intriguing about iowa because the next you know the next 200 plus could be right around the corner
0: and you got to watch armadillos in rut in Kansas. I mean, how exciting yeah. was that?
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's it's they got armadillos great. out there? Oh, yeah. there. oh yeah, he got them oh, on yeah. camera. He's getting everywhere now.
0: I watched him talk for fifteen minutes about a, a a squirrel he wanted to punch in the teeth. He <laughs> he, Chipper hates a loudmouth squirrel
1: more than anything. He said
2: <laughs> one of the greatest shots I ever had in my life was on a squirrel. It was we were. Uh, B. Dank and I were hunting in Kansas on the Cow Creek piece where I killed Palmer and he killed Mahuka. And, you know, we killed like 388 plus deer mm-hmm. in two years off of 1640 square. Okay. It was, it was an unbelievable piece of property. But anyway, early season, and we had, we were in this tree row. And then we had a kind of a forty yard opening of just like chop where they cut some trees down and another tree row, which turned out to be forty two yards from our stand. And this this squirrel comes out. We ain't seen a deer. We ain't seen a deer in like two or three days. It's the October lull, and you know you're looking for ways to amuse yourself. You know from time (laughs) to time. And I hadn't shot my bow. In a couple days. And I was like, man, I need some target practice. (laughs) Sure enough, man, this this squirrel comes out and just perches perfectly right on this stump. Right? And he's just sitting there minding his own damn business. He's 42 yards. I have a 15-mile-an-hour crosswind blowing from right to left. Okay? I go, "Be dank how much you give me if I kill that squirrel right there? He goes, (laughs) You ain't got a chance in Hades to hit that squirrel, okay? All right, I was like, that's all I need right there, a little motivation, okay? So, like I said, 42 yards, 15-mile-an-hour crosswind, drawback. I'm not even on the squirrel. I'm literally aimed just to the right of the squirrel because I got to figure the wind's going to take it a little bit. Smoked him. He freaking, he almost fell out of the tree. Like, he goes, That's the greatest shot I've ever seen in my life. We did the walk up. All right. We did, we did the walk up. I held him up. I was like, Folks, this is a boon and crock. I don't, I don't know what you guys are doing, but I mean, it was a little. I shot him a little far back. <laughs> <laughs> I I, should, "I think I ruined the hams on this on this squirrel." But I'll tell you what, this was going oh. on. And, I mean, it was. We used to have those in the books episodes at the end of every season, and that one definitely made the uh, the in the books. It was one of the funnier funnier episodes that we had. But yeah, you gotta. You get to get out much now without a camera in your face. No, you don't I don't want to because I want everything documented and I'm afraid that if i if I go to the woods that something's gonna happen that you know we could have documented on camera I mean it's just been i guess if if I went out with the boys or or the wife and and you know the wife just wanted to shoot a doe or something. Yeah, I do that. But if I got a bow in my hand and I'm hunting, mm-hmm. I want a camera behind me.
1: So basically, from the time you grew up, dog hunting, you went into the majors, then you started hunting with real tree. You basically had a camera in your face
2: ever since younger in your career. Yeah, going on, going on twenty five, twenty six years. So mid nineties, I think was my my first hunt with real tree. Maybe ninety six, ninety seven. So you're. You're talking about
1: so that's got to be completely different from being on so. the ball field versus having that camera right in your face, doesn't it? A little bit.
2: It's a little different because uh, when you're when you're on the ball field, everybody's watching everything. Everything right. everything is is put under a microscope. Um, I can look at my cameraman and say, "Get that <laughs> frigging camera out of my face," right. you know? Because there's times. Oh yeah. There's times, you know, when you get frustrated. Um. When you're in camp and it's late and, you know, you're a little sauced, you don't know, want that camera up in that's your right. face. You know, I mean, um, that's why, you know, like I, I I keep the guys on their toes. You know, like I'm not the friendliest person when I wake up from my afternoon nap. you know. Right? So, so maybe that's a good time for you not to have that camera in your face, you know. Um, when I'm a little saucy at about 1030 or 11 o'clock before we're going to bed, uh, maybe I am a little cantankerous and I don't, want, I don't <laughs> want you of in my, you know? And so like my cameraman, God, God bless him. Uh, a 21 year old kid named Colin Perry. And the very first hunt we had, we were sitting in this double cedar set. We're 20, 20 foot up in two different cedars. And I'm sitting there on my phone. And I was like, Man, I gotta keep this guy on his toes. He was, at that time, nineteen. Okay? Oh wow! And scared to death, scared to death to to be my camera guy. I was like, I'm really gonna put the fear down. <laughs> so I'm sitting there on my phone, and I can I can feel him like glaring, look, looking team. at me. And I look over real fast, and he, sure enough, he's he's burning me down, right? And I go, "The f are you looking at?" <laughs> And I mean, his eyes got this, but he didn't say a word the rest of the time. I was like, got him. <laughs> I got him. I got him eating out of my hand. And, you know, I didn't mean anything by it. I would, you know, but I wanted to keep him on his toes. Like, I want, whenever you walk into the room and I'm there, I want you to stick your foot in the water just to see if it's warm, you know? I mean, just to see what the temperature is because you need to know what kind of mood I'm in. That determines whether you run the camera or not. You know? <laughs> yeah. So there's a, there's a rhyme for every reason. You know? Gotcha.
0: But and you make it a, a a point to always take it back to that clubhouse kind of mentality, that brotherhood in anything you guys do. The Buck Commander Days. I mean, you were always. You would just stay out of edge wise with those guys enough that they're like, all right, we're gonna mess with them today. But I never saw any practical jokes from the Buck Commander guys on you like I did the other guys because they get punched in the face. That's <laughs> yeah. because that's because
1: they done it on the summit.
0: Yeah, boy, yeah. Poor, poor poor Jordy. Yeah. Well, no, who was it y'all got with the with the fake deer? That was the with the, or was that. You was you there for that whoa, whoa, whoa. one?
2: We got um, yeah. we got we got my agent. Um, no one of them. They took the deer. Out he there. shot
0: the tree. It was uh,
2: was it Langy that that shot the tree?
0: Um, they'd put the mounted deer. He'd shot the clawfoot deer off of um, Adam's place <laughs> or, or whatever, and they mounted it and stuck it out there behind a the tree. Uh, that was the best
2: one, one ever. One of the I mean. one of the camera guys from Real Tree Mississippi, we called him Mississippi, passed away a few years ago. He was he was the king of the of the of the fake deer. You know he 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 had this 200-inch typical, you know, mounted on this deer that was kind of laying down. Man, we got so many people. My agent, my agent, we got one time, and he he scoped himself trying to stay steady on this deer, and he scoped himself. He, he had to get like seven or eight stitches Ooh. to close this gash on his forehead. And when he found out that that was a fake deer— he was pissed. I <laughs> mean, he was pissed. So, yeah, the, and that's one of the reasons why Duff and I kind of moved on from, from Buck Commander. Love those guys. Right. Um, you know, great relationships with most of them. Yeah, I mean, uh, Luke and Jason came in after us. Great friends with those guys. You know, we didn't always see eye to eye with Willie. Um, but, um, yeah, we were just more of, I think the the – the clubhouse fraternity kind of played its course right. with uh, Buck Commander, and we had some great times, some great laughs. Kangaroo courts and all that kind of stuff were just hilarious. Um, but Duff and I wanted to get more into the serious aspect of it. We wanted to get more into the educational aspect of it. We wanted to interact more with our fans and, and you know, have them learn from us, have us learn from them. All, all those things were really, really – uh, important to us, and here we are. We're about to produce season twelve of Major League Bowhunter, and we're about to start filming season thirteen. It's hard to believe it's it's been that long, but our brand has grown to the point where we're partnering with some of the biggest brands in the industry, and uh, we are extremely proud of what we've accomplished. So, Major, go ahead, I'm sorry.
0: Major League Bowhunter, in a, in a nutshell. When it was began, Jeff was was with you guys, and we we've spoke to Brandon and and had the conversations with him. And what always amazed me about whether it was when you guys were with Jeff and and now Brandon's involved with it, the the faith base of it. You know, you guys are always so thankful, and and you never make it about being holier than thou or right. anything else. It's it's a grounded mentality that you are just like... The, when you're in that camp or you're in that setting, I can go do what you can do. And y'all teach me how to do it yeah. that way. And that's the thing that's very... You just don't see that. The entertainment side of it's great. Like right. what Buck Commander did, it's all fun and games to watch. But sometimes I want to sit down and I want to say, holy crap, I need to play that, that set 100%. in my mind so I can be as successful as them.
2: Yeah, and... <sighs> I love the story. I love wow. telling the story because, you know, a lot of times in some of those real tree videos, it's, hey, we're here in, you know, Bumblebutt, Kansas, and uh, we're sitting on this green field, deer walks out, shoot them. You know, there's no real story to it. The action's, you know, fun, yeah. but when you see it enough times, it gets stale. Yeah. You know, and so the actual telling of the story, um, putting in the work during the summer, putting out the cameras, putting out the feed, putting out the mineral, getting the picks, taking inventory, then developing a game plan, putting up your stands, cutting your lanes, um, entry, exit strategies, what wind are we going to play? All these things are are things that people want to know. That's right. Okay. All right. And, and. You just take your experiences and you say, Okay, we're gonna we're gonna start literally in July, late July, early August. We're gonna start then telling the story. Yeah. You know? And it's not gonna it's just gonna be a story in Kansas, it's gonna be a story in Iowa, it's gonna be a story in Missouri, it's gonna be a story in Kentucky. And each guy in the crew is gonna have a different story. Mm -hmm. You know, and hopefully at the end of the year we'll have 10 or 12 or 15 different stories told by five different dudes and i think that's part of what makes us you know an intriguing watch you know whenever you turn it on and um yeah we've had some pretty good stories through the years so it's it's been it's been really fun to do
0: all right well let's right off of that let's spin right into our shooting you straight segment where we uh, bring on a, a viewer question that they send in for it so play that off here
1: This week's Shooting You Straight, brought to you by land specialist Cal Hardy with Whitetail Properties. If you're looking to buy or sell land in the northwest Georgia area, give our boy Cal a call. 770-296-2163. Day or night.
0: So, our buddy J.C. Simon, he, um, he sent in this one. And it's just simply, what does hunting mean to you? And um, for me, it's like what, what we've been talking about really is... The camaraderie, the the camps. I mean, Alex and I go out west every year, and we we got to take my son this year. And just being around those camps and being, you know, I can remember being young and being sitting out in the woods in North Georgia and being like,
1: "Man, I'm ready to go back to camp."
0: I bet I'm missing out on something. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd get out of the woods early just to go back to see who was there splitting wood or whatever. So that's what it means for me. So yeah.
2: it's that's such a great question. Number one, it's uh, a connection to my childhood me um getting back to my roots and <clears throat> doing whatever my dad was doing. I was my dad's biggest fan. So right. if he was coaching baseball, I was shagging flies. If he was coaching football, I was catching passes. If he was coaching basketball, I was in the gym shooting hoops. If he was fishing, I was right there next to him, wetting the line. If he was hunting, I was tugging at his coattails. So <clears throat> It's a connection to my childhood, but it's also it is probably where I'm the happiest. You know, I mean, like, like, and I don't that came out wrong from the standpoint of when everything's right at home with mama and the the babies. That's when you're happiest. But from a hobby standpoint, that's right. That is when you're the most content. You're you're in camp with your boys um i I think if 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 i just went out into the woods by myself i wouldn't enjoy it because i don't have anybody to share it with now that i have a camera guy i can bounce stuff off of them there's camaraderie there's you know it helps pass the time um because everybody thinks you know we just climb up in these trees and we got a deer tied to that tree over there (laughs) and we kill everything that's not you know we get 22 minutes of footage on each and every show it could take two or three weeks could take a month to get those 22 minutes you know there's a lot of content that we that we run through but like you said getting down out of the stand going back having a back strap on the grill popping the top on something and sitting there with your boys and talking about each other's hunts and sharing it with each other there's something you know really therapeutic about that and then you know it's just – it's something that I would never give up. Like, if you were to say, hey, um, you know, uh, you got to give up one or the other, fishing or hunting, I ain't giving up hunting. That's, that's yeah. where it's at for me. I love fishing, but I ain't – I, <laughs> I I'd gladly kick fishing to the curb. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. So.
1: I, you know, I can't add – I could just add a little bit to that, what you guys said, because I think those are great answers. But, you know, the preparation – Like Chipper said earlier, you start in July, start putting those food plots in, start getting ready, putting the feed out, cameras out. I think the planning is big for that. And, I, um, you know, to back up what you're saying about getting back to camp and seeing what somebody saw or something like that, I also like when I get up in the morning and be like, hey, where are you going hunting at today? Where are you going hunting? I'm going over to the so-and-so tree, you know. And I know we've said that on past episodes, but I, I enjoy that, like sitting around in the morning, first thing, having a cup of coffee. And I think the older I get, the more I enjoy it. <laughs> and I don't want to sleep in. I want to get up and see where everybody's going. And that's yeah. what I that's what I like about it.
2: And and so the the biggest question asked at ten thirty, eleven o'clock at night before everybody goes to bed when you got four or five dudes in camp is what? Which way is the wind blowing? The yeah. Morning, yeah. All right. And you have you sit down and you have that conversation with everybody. Okay, I'm going to the junkyard tree, or uh, you know, Duff, you go to the South Meadow. Um, Be Dank, Be Dank's going to Taze Blind. You know, what I mean, it's just like okay, we got we got a north wind. We've been waiting for a north wind all throughout the early season. We finally get that north wind, and, and everybody goes in and feels like okay now I got a chance to kill <laughs> I, I, right. we're, we, we've been slowly tightening the noose on them you know through the early season now we get that north wind we're going in to kill him you know and and to come back and have somebody have something in the in the back of the truck that started in July man it's, right. it's freaking it's Halloween now and and we knew that this was going to work now it took four months for it to play out but the story is told and now it's over. And it's time to have time to have some fun. That's right. How you going to back that up,
1: Alex? <laughs> I mean,
0: there's not much to back up there. I mean, <laughs> thanks to JC for sitting in that question. But, no, it's it's been the memories. I mean, I, I've said it time and time again that everything that, that I've ever done in this world has been centered around some form of outdoor activity, whether it was outside in the yard hitting rocks with a bat, I was outside. Whether I was chasing dogs over the hills behind my dad when I first started squirrel hunting, I was outside. Um, even now when we're going to the Midwest, when we're traveling, Cody and I've been fortunate and blessed enough to be able to go and travel to those places. I still get to hunt with my dad and my uncle, my two best friends in the world. And there's memories and I can never paint a picture enough of when people ask, what'd you kill this year? I may say time, but it was time damn well spent. And it always is no matter where we go. So I think that's for me, that's what hunting is. It's the memories. So... I love it. I love it. Great answer, JC. Yeah, Yeah, thanks for the question, JC. don't forget to call
1: our boy Cal over if you're looking for something.
0: Yeah, Cal's a good dude, and we uh, we sure appreciate him. Chipper, I got to ask his question because it's it's something that's always spun around in my mind. When you go into a situation where you are in a high-pressure point – how do you calm yourself down when you're, you're in the moment? And it, it goes back to the baseball days or uh, in, in those moments when you're about to, to get case
2: one on a, on a 180. I can, I can promise you that the pulse rate on a 180 was way higher than it was when I was standing in the box. When I'm standing in a biter's box, I'm in my domain. Okay, yeah, that's, true. That's, that's where I feel most comfortable. I don't care who's out there on the mound. Could be Randy Johnson, could be Roger Clemens. I don't care. You throw it over that 17-inch plate, I'm going to whack it. All right? <laughs> so I know that. All right? I've done it so many times in my life. I could do it with my eyes closed. You don't step in front of a 180 every day. That's okay? right. You can't yep. practice that. You okay. can sit there and you can shoot target after target after target. There is nothing that that replaces having a 180 come in. Not only having a 180 come in, but you're like watching him for like five minutes coming in. Like, it'd be one thing if he just pops out on you and you draw and shoot, okay? That's what I like. That's, that's what I like. Let me throw that out there. I'm right there with you. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Uh, that Palmer buck that, that I killed scored 196. I knew he was there, but he popped out on me first light. And at 26 yards, I didn't even know what I had shot any. I knew he was a shooter, but I didn't know which deer it was. I was hoping it was mahuka, you know. But I shot him at 27 yards, and I'm like, you know, I just popped a pretty good, you know, pretty good Kansas buck. Turned out he was 196 inches.
0: (laughs) Pretty good one, I am saying And I'm like, when I
2: walked up on him, I was like, I literally got misty. I was like, I just just killed the deer of a lifetime. I'll never – see a deer like that ever again you know and so but i guarantee if it had been the afternoon hunt and he'd been coming from 500 yards away and we would had you know five or ten minutes of b-roll I ain't got a uh, snowball's uh, chance in hell. I hit that at that point. Yeah, because you, there's so much time to think about it and you've processed everything. And, you know, all of a sudden the time is now and you draw back and you've been tensed up. And all of a sudden, man, that ball, that bow doesn't draw as easily <laughs> now, you know, and it's, you know, 30 degrees and you're cold and you're starting to get that buck fever. It's, uh, yeah, there's there's no. There's no preparation for that. So it's, uh, I would definitely say I'm, I'm more comfortable in the batter's box than I am in that tree stand in front of a one You trust me. It's, it's just because you can't practice it.
1: No, yeah. and they never come in that opening that you want them to. You're yeah. like, you blade yep. in your head. He's going to come right yep. down through there and he's going to walk in there and he never does. He comes 100%. from behind you. <laughs> yeah. 100%. And now you're, now you're
2: stuck yeah. and you're like yeah. looking over your shoulder and you're tensed up. And you're, yeah. It's like, it, it's so, that's what, but, that's what we love about it. Mm-hmm. You know? That's what we love about it. You can sit here and say, All right, I got this trail coming twenty-five yards across my face, and they should work their way down this way. And all of a sudden he's standing right here behind you, you know, at the base of the tree. It never works out. And that's what is so intriguing about each and every hunt.
0: There's been more prayers said in those moments, <laughs> I guarantee you, yeah. my folks. Please don't smell me.
2: Lord, yeah. please don't let Lord let me make a good shot. <laughs> I, there's been a lot of faith put into those moments. And you, and you think about the amount of times that you've had so much time to process everything as that deer's coming in and then the disappointment of a miss or even worse, you know, blooding a deer up, you know. I mean, but that's part of bow hunt, you know. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. we don't set out to, to miss or not be successful or to, to hurt the animals. We want to do – we want those animals to – you know, die the most peaceful death they can, you know, I mean, uh, the most ethical and, but it doesn't always happen. I mean, we are shooting a bow and arrow and we are nervous as hell when we're up there (laughs) at full draw. Um, yeah, it doesn't always work out. Maybe there's a twig in the way or, you know, whatnot. Those are the variables that keep us coming back, you know, every single time.
1: Over the many years that you've bow hunted and had a cameraman, what have you, what's the most thing that you've learned so far, throughout those years like the way you set stands up is there anything that sticks out
2: <clears throat> hunting with a cameraman is different than hunting by yourself because if the cameraman doesn't have a shot the same shot you have then it doesn't come across on t- it doesn't come across well on TV so you got to communicate communication between you and your cameraman is the utmost importance because <clears throat> My hole in the trees is not the same hole he he's going to have through the trees. So, you know, whenever we get up in the stand, it's always, okay, I got a lane right here. Are you over my shoulder enough to be able to get that? Yes. Okay. I've got that lane. All right. I've got another lane right over here. He says, no, I got a tree. I can't, I can't see it. Okay. I can't see that lane. Okay. I can't shoot right there. All right, so it's constant communication between the two of us, um, you know, and I'm like, once I go to full draw, all right, I communicate with him, you, you got him, you know, and if he says yes, bet, grunt, stop him, okay? Um, if he goes, if I grunt and he takes another two steps and stops and he doesn't have him, he's got to tell me, I, I, I don't have him can't shoot you know and it sucks oh I, <laughs> it, oh, it man. sucks um i'm sending it sorry tv <laughs> yeah but it's uh, again that's another another variable that uh, you throw into the mix it ain't just going up there and hunting you know by yourself you got to make sure you, we're we're filming 13 episodes of major league bow hunter need content yeah. right and and duff will tell you Duff's had some of the greatest hunts of all time you know from a content standpoint didn't necessarily throw an arrow through a deer he's got some of the greatest shooting misses and near misses with monster deer that like i would have given my you know left testicle to to be able (laughs) to experience you know and um so it's not always about the kill it's about the experience and we certainly have you know quite a quite a few episodes where You know, we don't necessarily kill a deer, but we're still telling the story, and we're still going through it, and we're still going to show you the content that we had. You know, that takes us up to the eventual kill.
0: An elk at four yards. That episode, he didn't shoot that elk, and it's standing, towering above him, and he don't even see it. His camera guy sees everything, but it's literally standing four yards behind him. (laughs) If I could
2: tell y'all the fight that ensued after after that. Because it was a lack of communication between Duff and the and Brandon Adams, the camera guy, and mm-hmm. you know Brandon, to his credit, he did his you know he did his job, but they were separated by forty or fifty yards, yeah. and you can't just say, "Hey, you got him," you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but obviously, there should have been some kind of hand sign or or sign language that lets you know, "I got him." All right, <laughs> I'm good, right? And B. Dank always said, you know, if we're separated, um, which we have a couple of times been separated, um, your job, meaning me, is to hunt. You kill. It's my job to film. I will trust that I will get it. And it's awfully comforting when you have a cameraman that's that confident and says, my job is to film. I will get the deer you hunt it's your job to get them on the ground and that's uh that's another reason why b dank and i got along so good i miss him so much in the tree not that you know nothing from from colin perry but there's just certain certain guys you click with and b dank was that guy for me one of the best at laying
1: it down for Mm -hmm. sure i I definitely got to give a shout out to brandon danker because you know he made this come possible for us you know and having him on early and he said he hadn't done a whole lot of podcasts and You know, we asked him some questions about you guys hunting early on, but I want to see if you tell a different story. He told us a story. I was asking him about people chasing you, basically. (laughs) He told us a story. I know what story (laughs) He told us a story about guys setting up with uh, spotting scopes. Do you have another one that he only told us that one?
2: Uh, No, that's the one that really sticks out and um, one of the places that we'll never go again. You know, Um, I think we were in – were we Nebraska maybe or I can't ne- remember was it the truck ne- Nebraska and New Mexico yeah we, we were in one of these places we'd never been and um, yeah we were hunting probably I don't know 300 yards off a hard road and um, hunting a, a you know this big thicket and we were kind of made these little self-made ground blinds out of trees and stuff and just sitting there it's a pretty slow afternoon and can't figure out why and i look back and there's there's a like five or six trucks parked right next to my truck and they're on the back with freaking spotting and scopes and like checking us out and we were just like hey <laughs> yeah. yeah now i know why the hunting's slow you know i mean <laughs> we could hear them talking i mean it was it was just it was bad um normally when we are in town I mean, I got Major League Bowhunter on the bottom of my truck. Duff's got it on his. B-Dang's got it. People know we're there. You yeah. know? I yeah. mean, we ride up into Great Bend, Kansas. People know we're there. You know? I mean, but we we do have to eat. You know? We yeah. got to go in yeah. town. We, you know, we go to Denny's and grab us a breakfast. And, you know, constantly have people coming up to us when it, at gas stations, at restaurants, you know, um, heck driving down the interstate man. yeah that's like, when he told like, that story running <laughs> out of <laughs> the like, road people <laughs> were like blowing the horns man like yeah they'll, they'll give me the tomahawk chop <laughs> you know stuff going down the road it's like i'm like yeah it's like you know we're going crazy you will know, never you know people recognize oh, it's one thing for somebody to 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 give me the tomahawk chop when they know it's me but it's another thing to um have them not know that it's us or that it's me and have them, uh, you know, give us the thumbs up about the major league bow hunter or come up to the guys when they're getting gas and saying, man, I just want to thank you so much entertainment, such a great show. You guys do a great job. And that's, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, it's one thing to get applauded for your career as a baseball player, but for people to recognize us for the hunting show, not necessarily for the baseball is, is, is Pretty cool as well because that's what we set out to do. That's awesome.
1: I love it. Love it. Love it. Chipper, um, uh, what is the biggest piece of advice that somebody gave you when you were coming up, whether it's baseball or hunting? What's the one piece of advice that you just that somebody told you one time?
2: Mm, the piece of advice that probably helped me the most, uh, from a professional standpoint, baseball-wise, Willie Stargell was one of my first hitting instructors in the minor leagues. And he said, <clears throat> if you have slow feet, you'll have quick hands. He was talking about hitting. If you have slow feet, you'll have quick hands. If you have fast feet, you'll have slow hands. He goes, what do you want? I said, I want quick hands, man. You know, you got to... I swing a big-ass bat. I swing a, big ass bat. I swung a thirty-four, thirty-five 35-inch, 34-ounce bat. And so... If I got quick feet, I'm going to have slow hands with that big bat. So I need, you know, quick hands. That was one thing that always stuck with me throughout the years. God rest his soul. Passed away a few years ago. But, um, yeah, whenever I was struggling, I always tried to slow things down, you know. And if if Maddox was on the mound, he would tell you the same thing. Most young kids, whenever things start to get sideways, they try to throw harder. He's like. I tried to locate better. How do you locate better? You don't you don't go out there and throw it 100% every pitch. Maybe dial it back to 85-90%. Now I can throw it where I want, you know? And it's the same thing with me. Whenever things got fast, I just tried to slow them down. As far as deer hunting goes, um patience. Patience. That's what I would tell Everybody, you get a piece of property. I love new new pieces of property. Like whenever we get new pieces of property, I'm always the first one there. I'm like, <laughs> man, I want to put stand here, stand go <laughs> you know, there. And everybody just wants to charge right in. You know, when you get this new piece, you can't do it that way. I've learned this so many times. You'll, you'll blow stuff off the property. Hell, they may ne- never come back. You've got to start on the outside. Be patient. Use your binoculars. Scout. Learn stuff before you just charge right in there. And that's part of telling the story, you know, starting in July. You know, we're going to learn about this piece of property first. We're going to start from the outside, we're going to slowly tighten the noose, work our way in to the point where we get in that bedroom, or we get in between food and bed, and we get into that right spot, and we learn the exit and entry strategies before we just charge right in and hunt. And, um yeah, so – Slow down. Slow down. I mean, you hit it. You hit <laughs> it on both aspects. Yeah, just doing, slow down. Doing it both ways. Yep. Um,
1: did Bobby Cox ever give you a piece of advice that you could mention? <laughs> Probably
2: <laughs> give him several. <laughs> Bobby was. Um, Bobby's like that that favorite grandpa. You, you know, we we just got two grandpas. We got we got one that's – you know, at least I did. I had one that was, uh, reverend, by the book, straight laced, disciplined. You know kind of a hard ass and then you got that other grandpa who every time you shake his hand slips you a 20 that was Bobby Cox okay okay? but it wasn't a 20 it was a nugget it was a story you know and he always told me he's like there's two guys that that I reminded him of um Al Kaline from the Tigers and Mickey Mantle well Bobby played with Mickey and Mickey was my dad's favorite player so I grew up in the shadow of Mickey. So every once in a while, you know, I get to the park one 130 on the road, and Bobby would already be in full uniform, spikes on, spikes, <laughs> spikes, right? Stogie hanging out of his mouth. And I sit there, I can remember this one time at uh, we were at Dodger Stadium, and I walked in, he's, he's sitting there, full uni, nails on, you know, smoking a Stogie, and I sat down, and I was like, tell me a Mickey Mantle story. He was like, we were in New York one time, and uh, I went out with him and Whitey Ford, and we had a doubleheader the next day. And Mickey was very inebriated okay (laughs) and bobby said he he thought to himself there's no way this guy's playing 18 innings tomorrow right and they had to carry him out of the the bar the club where wherever they were that night he i mean he was completely passed out had to carry him out of there the next day um the first person Bobby saw when he got to the ballpark was Mickey and Mickey was like, nothing had ever happened. Professional. Like nothing. <laughs> he went, he went eight for nine in the doubleheader with like three or four homers. Right. Yeah. And it, it reminded me of this one time we had a, we had a game in Montreal. Yeah. The Montreal Expos. And I had been out all night. All right. We had a, we had a Saturday night game followed by a Sunday day game. We won Saturday. I had a nice game, um, but I would stayed out all night, and it's literally cracking daylight, right? And I'm walking back to the hotel, and, of course, as luck would have it, as I'm walking through the sliding glass doors, Bobby and our, our uh, um, uh, wait. Training or tr- training, weight training guy are walking out at the exact time that I walk in. And Bobby goes, Jesus Christ, temper shut it down one night. Right. You know, and he just barking at me. And I go, I go, I go, Skipper, I, I couldn't sleep. I just went down the street to get some breakfast. And he looks at me, you know, kind of cross eyed. Right. Yeah. And so I, I immediately run up to my room change my clothes jump in the shower and i was like i gotta go to the park right now so i go to the park it's probably 8 30 when i get to the park and i tell the the uh trainer i was like i'm gonna pass out on this training table you wake me up at 12 30 we got a one o'clock game i was like wake me up at 12 30 i gotta get a couple hours right he wakes me up at 1230. I throw my uniform on. I I still got crust in the corner of my eyes from sleep, right? And I go out. We win five of two. I hit two homers. And um, I got, I got like three hits, hit two homers. I'm walking off the field. And the whole time I'm walking off the field, I'm thinking of this Mickey Mantle story that he literally told me like a month ago, right? And so – we're going through the line. We're shaking hands. And Bobby, like, shakes my hand and holds on. And he pulls me in close and he goes, whatever you did last night, you do it again tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, it's, it, you know, everybody says be aware of this, the sick golfer, you know, because he doesn't go out and try to do too much. I was hammered. I was hammered, and I was literally going through the motions, you know, and not trying to do too much. And I centered two balls, and they went out. Of the, they went out of the ballpark, and he was he he loved it. He was like, "Man, whatever you did last night, you do it again tonight, boy." <laughs> That's hilarious.
1: Um, um, I got two more questions because you you brought up Greg Maddox, and I've heard Greg Maddox is a clown in the dugout. So tell us a quick story about him, real quick.
2: All right, so this this story w- was in my book. Um, I'll tell you two quick ones. So he was. The grossest human being I've ever had in my life. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so he would go out, and if he wasn't pitching, the four guys in the rotation that weren't pitching, they play golf. Every day. At home, on the road, didn't matter. Okay? So I've seen him. He had a corner locker, and the sanitary bin, the white socks that we wore underneath our, our blue socks, was right next to his thing. So he would come in after playing 18, 27, 36 holes, drop trowel no shower he would take a sanitary wipe his ass and throw the sanitary back in the sanitary bin oh god <laughs> right oh my and gosh. he would he would sit there and wait for guys to come in grab a sanitary you know you're just grabbing two you don't you're not really <laughs> checking them out per <laughs> se and sure enough One day I put sanitary sock on and there's a bacon strip coming up my shit. Oh God. he's just sitting over there in the corner, just laughing his rear end off. And yeah, so that's one instance of how gross he is. The other one is like early on in my career, I got a, I got a big hit late in the game to, to win a game. And, um, we had community showers. Okay. So, I always showered in the second one on the left, and he always showered in the third one on the left. Well, Eddie Perez showered all the way down on the right. There's probably 12 12 showers in there. So we're sitting there, and, you know, I'm still young. I'm probably 23, 24 years old, and Maddox comes up, and, you know, he just starts showering. He turns to me, and he says, uh, man, I just got to tell you, that was really impressive. Like, you worked that pitcher over. You got him into a good count, da 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 da, da. Um, And then you got the the big base hit. That's what professional hitters do. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, man, Craig Maddox is sitting here, you know, throwing me some love, you know. <laughs> um, so I started talking about it. And I can sense Eddie Perez in the corner is like, he's starting to giggle you know it, it, like like i'm being played or something i look down and maddox is pissing all over me all over my leg um so if i hadn't have been if i'd have been like 29 or 30 i might have whooped his ass you know uh, but i'm i'm still young and i can't i can't beat up the man um, oh so yeah those are just a couple of instances where you know that's a gross human being, man. <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard those. He's awful. Yeah.
0: In, in writing that book, did and the reason I ask this is, is, people don't write anymore. They, you know, they blog and they do things. But when you were writing that book, did it just elicit so much memory into yeah. your mind? I mean, it brought up. I'm sure it brought up good things, bad things. But when it was done, was that as much of an achievement as as all the other stuff. Well, done? I had
2: a I had a writer um, that actually wrote it uh, for me. Uh, obviously, it was like it was like doing a six month interview, right, you right. know. But whenever you're going to do something <clears throat> autobiographical, you've got to in in order for people to take it seriously, you've got to expose some of your warts, right. as as well as you know some of the good times. And I think that's what people respected about the book was that you know from the very beginning you know it's it's about a it's a wart you know right off the get you know make me making an error in the last game I ever played you know to to end the season and basically end my career and you know having to go through two failed marriages and you know warts on and off the field um yeah yeah it was but it was therapeutic as uh-huh. well you know I mean I think when most people will tell you you've ever been through therapy. Once you get some stuff off your chest, man, it makes you feel a lot better, you right. know, like a huge monkey off your back. And I had come to grips with a lot of that stuff earlier. Um, but to go through it again, I think it's, uh, it's therapeutic to, to go through it and, and kind of cleanse yourself every, every couple years or so, because you know, Hey, we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. Um, we're going to do things that we regret. And, um, you know, above everything else uh, about the book, most people have said it was awfully refreshing seeing you or hearing you come out and take responsibility for, you know, the first marriage going down down the tubes. It's, it's great to hear you um, take responsibility for, you know, throwing that ball in the right field. I know everybody in Atlanta, whenever I did it, was, you know – Probably questioning the ancestry of my mother, you know, but um, physical mistakes are going to happen, you know, uh-huh. and, you know, I caught a two seam grip on that ball and it, it sailed on me. And I got, you know, a midget playing second base and Dan Uglas. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> a, I, he's going to take some of the blame, you know, for it. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, I, I think whenever um, people know that you are truthful and you are standing up for it and taking um taking it like a man they're they're more apt to forgive you a lot quicker
0: i i just started it uh reading it and it's i mean like i said growing up watching you and everything it was you are human and that's the thing and it goes back to your hunting i mean you do make mistakes you're not perfect neither are we i'm gonna miss you're gonna miss nick's gonna have an opportunity at the buck of a lifetime he's gonna miss at it and but it keeps us going back, and I think that's everything we do in life. I mean, it just keeps us going back
2: for more. The kind of person you, you – you're molded by the mistakes you make, okay? Yeah. You, you are, as a person, the mold of the mistakes you make. And if you sit there and continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over, people are eventually going to be done with you. Yeah, You know, you have to make adjustments. You have to transform and it took me, you know, looking in the mirror and not liking what I was seeing, you know, from a human being standpoint. And it took a <clears throat> conscious effort to say, I've got to I've got to change something. I've got to change, you know, my lifestyle. I had an extremely tough time keeping temptations at arm's length. You know, huh. you, you throw money and fame and women at um, you know, a young kid especially from where I'm from, you know, Podunk, Podunk Florida, um, yeah, I had trouble with it. And and um, I think people see that. But they see – also see, you know, the husband and the father and the man that I've become since making those mistakes, and they see that fundamental change. And I think anytime I see a fundamental change in someone, I respect the hell out of that guy because Absolutely. he – you know, he could – sit there and have fun the rest of his life and continue to hurt people um and uh make other people miserable i didn't i didn't want to do that and i wanted to, i wanted to change i want to make people proud of me and happy around me I want to be around me knowing that that uh i'm a better dude than i used to be so I that's also awesome,
0: that's that that couldn't, wasn't what I was what I, what I was expecting <laughs> to hear, but I, I appreciate you yeah. sharing that. You know this
1: this kind of thought came to me, and I was been sitting here pondering if I was going to ask it or not. But Chipper, you're not really big into social media, not anymore, no. And do you think that do you think with the story that you just told there that you maybe should be more involved in social media to help other folks out of their struggling stuff? I
2: am I am not on social media as much anymore. I still read social media all the time. Mm-hmm. I had to take Twitter off of my phone. Twitter is a cesspool of stuff that that basically put me in a bad place, like negativity. Negative, yeah. it's it's all negativity, and it put me in a bad place. And I finally just had to say, I I can't live with this. I, so I'm I'm on Instagram. I get all my news from Instagram and whatnot. It's a lot more tame. Um, you know, my my wife is a big player on Instagram, and I enjoy seeing what she throws out there. Um, you know, all my friends are, but I don't need a, a huge network. And, and to be honest with you, what the question that you asked getting back to that, yes, I would like to, um, be able to touch more people. Um, but I refuse, I refuse to be married to my phone. Okay. And I feel like social media is that addictive, there's an addictive element to social media that has people married to their phones. I see it with my wife. I got to tell her sometimes like put the damn phone down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is eternally glued to her left hand. And I, I said, I feel like, you know, you're having a one night stand with me and you're married to your phone. You know, I feel like you're cheating on your phone with me. And she kind of gets the, you know, that, that analogy. Um, But yeah, I, I, I wish there was another outlet where I could talk to people, you know, about that, you know, and <laughs> hopefully, hopefully this is, it, you know, that outlet. You yeah. know, I, if, if we do more of these, um, you know, maybe I can touch more people, but I refuse to, you know, if you don't get that from whatever I put out there on Instagram, you're not going to get it.
1: Well, I it's think just I th- the way it is. I think if you've done more of these podcasts, I'm not saying you have to, I'm just saying that I think people's going to get a lot out of this episode because it went completely different at the end than I thought it would. And, and uh, and I've enjoyed everything that you said, but I think it's good for people to hear that because yeah. people start hearing your voice and they feel like they're a part of you, even though they've seen you for all those years on the field. They hear you on their radio each and every day. If they were, if they were telling if you're telling a story or something like that, like a testimony, then it would be.
2: <laughs> well, how many how many people out there that don't know me personally say, man? That dude's gotta have an unbelievable life. You know what I mean? Baseball player, he's a millionaire, you know, he's he's you know, got a beautiful wife, got seven beautiful kids. It's freaking stressful, bro. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. telling you, yeah. you know, yeah. it's it's not all, you know, glitter and rainbows and unicorns. I can right. I can promise you this. Money brings a a ton of problems. Yes, it cures quite a you know, some problems. Um I don't have the the, the worries that, that maybe some of those people do from a monetary standpoint. But when you got two ex-wives and a current wife and you got seven boys and you got to interact with all of them and, you know, my wife has a stepson, she got baby daddy out there. I mean, there's a lot of crossover and a lot of stress and a lot of trying to coordinate everything that, um, you know, is – is uh w- one reason why I will probably have to take uh, uh blood pressure medication <laughs> at some point at some point in my life coming up on 50 here in a month so
0: but you go into the hunting and you can yes. for a, for a 30 or excuse me for a 3 or 4 hour period in the morning or a 3 or 4 hour a moment in the evening you can put that and that's the, the worries aside that's the
2: release exactly
0: and you may have a cameraman there with you 100%. but it's you can you can relax and you can you know thank god for those moments
2: that you've had that have been lost I don't I don't have to talk to that cameraman and that right. cameraman knows you know my cameraman knows if 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 we do the intro whenever we get in the tree and I don't say anything for 15 or 20 minutes you know and we're not discussing stuff he knows you know he's he's like man chips, chip's probably got something on his mind the good thing about it is is hunting is something that I do with my wife. Yeah. So my wife is a big bow hunter. She killed a deer in Canada, her first Midwest deer, um, not this past year, but the year before. So it's, and the last couple of years we've gone to Kansas and some of my like favorite hunts have been on the ground, boots on the ground rattling for her, you know, and just seeing how she's evolving as a hunter. But yes, Getting out in in the woods, whether you're with the wife, whether you're with the cameraman, whether you're by you're sitting by yourself, that's where you get some of your most important decisions made. You know, when everything stops, no phones, there's no spotlight, there's nobody else there. It's just you and nature. You know, and and you, yes, you're soaking up all that nature and everything that that God has given you. But every once in a while, you gotta take a step back and. And be by yourself with your thoughts and get those important decisions made. And twenty five foot up a tree is that, that release for me. Amen to
1: that. Yeah. <laughs> what do you what are you most thankful for?
2: I'm I'm thankful for my parents. Um not everybody has two parents that are coming up on fifty two years of marriage. Um, they are the basis for everything that I have. Um, baseball, my hobbies, my dad got me started in all my hobbies, you know, golf, fishing, hunting. Um, and he taught me the importance of passing it along to the next generation. My four oldest boys have all killed deer. They've all caught Big Bass, they've all had their endeavors in sports. Might not be to the level of me. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. I know how hard this it is to, to get where I got. Um, if they can handle what's going to be put out there by their friends in the peer pressure and whatnot, they'll be fine, you know. Um, but, yeah, mom and dad. My mom is an insatiable competitor. Um, so I got my mental, uh, makeup from her. Like she had me thinking whenever I walk out on that field, I'm the best player. I mean, and you ain't going to tell me otherwise. Barry Bonds, I I don't care. He, yeah, I know, and I know he's a better player than, than I was, but I could dominate a game just as easily as he can. Yeah. So, you know, and I never had any personal vendettas against a guy like, Barry Bonds, only because he wasn't a pitcher. If he would have been a pitcher, then I got a vendetta with him, You know? I mean, so did I respect him? Yes, 100%. Um, there were games when he absolutely dominated games that I played in, and I'm like, man, that guy's good, you know? <laughs> but when I walk up to that plate, if I have second thoughts in my mind or I'm thinking, man, I'm not quite swinging right, guess what? I'm not going to get a hit, you know? When I walk up to that plate and I'm like – you throw it over that plate, buddy boy, I'm about to do some serious damage. Yeah. You know, your your chances go up exponentially. My dad was the fundamental guy. He was the mechanical guy. He was, you know, he showed me how to do everything. He showed me, gave me the tools to be successful uh, physically. Um, and it was just a, a, a great marriage. And, you know, none of this would have been possible Without both of them, my dad, an ex-Marine, you know, so there was some of that, hey, by the book, yes, sir, no, ma'am, you know, gentlemen, you be uh, polite to everybody, especially your elders. Um, you step out of line, I'm going to whoop your ass, Yeah, you know, and that was the way it was. And I feel like I'm sitting here today, the person that I am, Having been given the artillery to be able to make adjustments, you know, on the fly. And they gave me everything that I needed. And there's nowhere else to go other than that. You got to take the reins at some point.
1: Props to them, man. Yep. Hey, you got you mentioned seven boys. Could we see one of them in a Braves uniform? Is there one that stands out? I know you can't put one above the other. But. Yeah. Um,
2: so, my oldest is 24. Um, his name is Matthew. He's uh, coaching a 16U team in Athens, Georgia. Um, he played a year at Stetson University. Didn't work out for him. You yeah. know, that's okay. Yeah. Um, my twenty-one-year-old is at Kennesaw State. He's a computer guy, not a speck of athletic ability whatsoever. That's fine, you know. Um, he's he's doing well in school and is set to graduate here pretty soon. Um, my sixteen and seventeen-year-old, God, 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 love them. <laughs> They're probably six-two, two-fifty, two-sixty, big light, old boys. Big old <laughs> boys. I'm having a little trouble keeping them keeping them eligible. You know, um, great kids. Um, They're over at Fellowship Christian. Um, So they're still a work in progress, but they're more football than they are baseball. Again, which is okay. Um, My stepson, Bryson, is about to turn 12 and really loves football. Unfortunately, his mom is 5'3", and his dad was 5'6". Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) they were both cheerleaders at University of Kentucky. So I'm not really liking his chances to like get to six foot, six, six, three, um, loves football, wants to be a wide receiver. (laughs) His mama won't let him play. Um, you know, but, um, pretty decent little baseball player as well. My three and my five-year-old with my current wife, Taylor, um, got me pretty excited. I think they're going to be pretty good athletes. Um, but again, you know, no pressure. Yeah. You know, um, if they if they choose to play baseball, I will certainly cultivate that as as best I can while I'm still able to to be upright. Um, yeah, and and we'll we'll see what happens. But we got a long way to go for those two, you know get to the point where they can be a brave. We're talking about another you know fifteen twenty years. That's right.
1: Well, Chipper man, I want to thank you for coming over here. If you want yeah.
2: you know, we started this podcast a year and a half
1: ago, and if you thought if I'd have thought Chipper Jones would be sitting in my basement, I'd have said no. <laughs> Um, if you if you went back ten, fifteen years ago and asked me if I thought Jeffrey Jones would come in my house, I'd say no again. But I want to thank you for coming over here, man. You're just like us, and we talked yeah. about that. I mean, you know, different, and um, you took the time, and I want to again, I want to take thank Brandon Danker for yeah. setting this up, man. He's a he's a nice guy, and
2: B Dank was the perfect liaison for this. And uh, obviously, love to come out here and and talk, hun. I appreciate. It. I'm very flattered that y'all had me on for your hundredth episode. Glad I could. Glad we could come up with a, a schedule that that would work for everybody, and uh, yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll come back for number two
1: hundred. Oh, Daker. we get him and Daker on there. Yeah,
2: there maybe, we, maybe
0: we get we chase Duff I, next. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I, I'm gonna tell you this: if you get Duff, y'all better pull up a chair and like get a blanket because he won't. Once he starts talking. He, you can't shut him up. So, y'all... Oh, y'all, me and
0: him will get along good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Y'all get about four or
2: five questions and just, just let him take go, let him take the reins. Yeah, so... We got to load this
1: stuff up. We need to go out to Kansas and do some coyote hunt with y'all at some point. There so, hey, yeah. real quick, we ain't even asking... You don't turkey hunt? I, well, I guess the answer is because of baseball. But.
2: Yeah, I was usually a little busy in the springtime. Yeah, but... Um, and, yeah. and to be honest with you, where we, where we uh, trained previously in, at Disney, I see... I see tons of Osceola's down there, mm-hmm. like, I mean, ropes hanging on the ground. Like, I'm like, dang, <laughs> my boys would be going crazy. The turkey hunting doesn't really, I mean, I don't know, man. It's just, <laughs> oh, Lord, it's help him. Him. he me. somebody
1: to agree with me. Yeah, I, I just, I, I,
2: I, I've, I've killed a turkey on purpose maybe twice in my life, like gotcha. calling them up. And, yeah. You know, normally I'm shooting them off my corn pile in, you <laughs> in know. South Texas, you know, trying to keep them from uh, eating me out of house and home, but I uh, got a chance to kill one in Kansas with Duff that, that we called in. Um, I shot him at, like, four feet. Yeah, and then uh, I shot... Uh, uh, Tyler Jordan called one in for me down at Realtree Farms uh, a couple years ago. And, I mean, it was cool but i mean it just it doesn't float my boat like uh like understood. Deer, like deer hunting understood
0: yeah. <laughs> so. it ain't for everybody <laughs>
2: yeah
0: 100 it ain't for me me and nick that's the battle we go through every episode doing it yep. but as nicholas said you know to have you here today with us it's a accumulation of what we're trying to build and where we're trying to go with it and it is a learning thing for us not necessarily in learning how to do this show but in learning how to be better. Yeah. And everyone we've had on has given us a peace and a blessing to, to do that and be able to sit back. And, you know, as I go into the final spit of the day, it's it's been a, a journey as we've went. And today we've reached our pinnacle uh, goal we set forth in the beginning of achieving the exalted effort of getting to 100 episodes, 100 conversations, countless friendships, and a chance to prove to those who doubted us in November of 2020 that we could do this. In the beginning, it began as a young fawn with wobble legs and an unclear vision. Not knowing where our future lay, but with perseverance and desire we forged on, making each step a touch faster, starting to clearly see why the good Lord blessed us with this opportunity. That word is the foundation of where we are today, opportunity, resting on the shoulders of our faith in God and our building of a lifetime of friendships. A dream a few kids conjured up on a tailgate sitting in the driveway, now clearly a journey that's just begun. Talk About It Outdoors is a way deeper and farther reaching voice than we can ever express. The memory preserves in the archives of our files and in the minds of those who walk with us will forever be the reason we will continue on our path. I thought today as we sat here talking with Mr. Chipper Jones, as he many times throughout the years took the bad that was in the world and replaced it with the good on the television and gave people a chance to be relaxed and have a little bit of enjoyment. No matter if there was war going on in a faring soil, or battling going on right here at home. It gave people an opportunity to take away from that a little bit of happiness. Hopefully, as we journey through this podcast, we can do the same thing. If you're feeling low and not feeling well, turn on an episode of Talk About It Outdoors. And as we've said many times during this show, we can't thank you enough for being here with us. And remember, smile as you go, but it's no longer Mount the Memories. It's now we are the memories we make. Building the foundation of your life starts at the base, and the stronger it is, the better. Talk About It Outdoors is proud of our strong partnership with United Concrete Paving and the foundation of support they provide. Whether your new home being built needs concrete work or that driveway you're tired of beating all the bearings from your pickup needs a paving, Michael and his team can provide any residential or commercial project support you might need from the ground up. If you're tired of tripping over that unsettled patio slab or a future shop build needs a smooth start, United Concrete and Paving can get you going when you need it most. Give them a call at 404-831-3036 and make sure you tell them them TAI boys are where you heard it first. A few years back, When an overbearing and overgrown backyard became an eyesore, I looked for a solution to resolve. LRS Land Services created a stunning and complete transformation turnkey at an affordable price with their mulching services. Not limited to mulching, LRS can provide turnkey grading and clearing, maintenance, right-of-way clearing, and even development for any and all forestry needs. With an innovative outlook on what is best for your land and a completely different approach than others, LRS can transform your overgrown eyesore into a beautiful landscape of your dreams. Give them a call at 404 889 1105 or check their workout on Facebook at LRS Land Services. Logan and his team are ready to make your land brand new again. Are you in need of a decluttering? barn or garage slap full of stuff you just don't need or is your construction site needing a dumpster give our buddy tony at georgia junk and dumpster rental a call with services ranging from junk removal to roll-offs georgia junk is here to help with any and all removal needs if it's time to get that parking spot back or the boat needs a place inside tony and his team can surely assist servicing Cherokee, Cobb, Bartow, and surrounding counties. Give them a call at 404-406-3501 or check them out on Facebook at Georgia Junk. Clean up the yard in short order with Georgia Jump.